Hiya, you are listening to the It Starts With Action podcast. I am your host, Presence, and today we have Lindsay Lapaquette, who helps communication within teams to improve their performance. She's also a speaker, trainer, coach, and consultant, and it was great to talk to her about her journey, the challenges that she had to overcome to get to where she is today, how she started a business and decided to close it and start a new one. And we also talked about taking risks when you have more responsibilities, motherhood, and a lot more. If you enjoy it, then please share it to your friends and family, give a review on Apple Podcasts, and yeah, let's get into it. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of It Starts With Action, and I'm really grateful today to have Lindsay, is it La Paquette? Oh, you're very good, yes. <laughs> um, but I'm, yeah, I'm really happy today because I'm getting to talk about communication, which is uh, something that I struggled a lot with in the past, but now slowly getting better, um, and hopefully we'll also you guys as well um so Lindsay is a leadership coach or helping people better their communication skills in the workplace mm-hmm. yeah okay I really should I should have wrote it down I kind of put it in my head okay <laughs> but, I did the same yeah. thing when I when I did a live yesterday so it happens <laughs> but, um and you're a speaker coach I'd love to know you like your journey in terms of how did mm. you where did it start I, I think I remember yeah. you said you were like a speech therapist before Yes, yes. So I'll go a little bit before speech therapist, because I think there's some other things in my history that kind of contributed to where I am today. Um, so I grew up in a, in a I was going to say in a military family, my family per se weren't military, my grandfather was in the military, my dad did do some military, but dropped out. But um, the lessons he learned in the military were kind of brought to how he raised us. And so you know, he would give us orders and tell us what to do. And we were supposed to be like his little soldiers and, and following along and, and doing what was told. And and I did that much of my life until um, when I was leaving for university, my dad wanted me to be a hospital administrator. I have no idea why, but he just had his heart set on me being a hospital administrator. And, and I, I didn't want to, and it was one of the first times in my life that I really kind of dug my heels in. And um, so my mom at the time, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And she said to me, you know, you're, you're good at different languages. I had lived in France when I was 15 for a few months with a family. Uh, she said, you love to talk. <laughs> Why don't you look at speech therapy? And so she set me up with a friend of hers and I went and visited and, and I loved it. And so I went off to university, did my master's in speech therapy. Uh, I got my first job working with kids who preschoolers who had disabilities. And I loved being able to share my expertise and help the families. Um, But then I had my own two kids who have both have disabilities themselves, fairly significant uh, emotional and behavioral challenges. And through that, I started to realize that, you know, I had taken on my dad's way of I'll, I'll give you orders and tell you what to do and you'll listen. And and it wasn't working. It, It really, really wasn't working. And so that was one of my first steps of, oh, I need to look at how I'm communicating differently, how to learn to communicate differently so I can, I can help my kids. And then sort of on a parallel to that, at the same time, I lost my mom and uncle in a car accident. And that was just, you know, absolutely devastating to me. And it was also one of the first times in my life where I was really vulnerable. You know, I was that person who needed help and, and who would accept help. So there's probably other times in my life I needed help, but I wouldn't accept it. You know, I was that strong. I can do it by myself. Um, 
the accident kind of stripped that away because everything was so raw that I, I needed help. And one of the things I saw through that journey was how hard of a time people have having uncomfortable conversations because it, it was uncomfortable for people to talk about what I was going through. Um, and people had a tendency to either dismiss it or want to fix it. And I, I just started seeing these patterns of what what wasn't working. And I started seeing those patterns elsewhere, you know, in the workplace and seeing the impact of that. And then at the same time, I, I got a contract working with First Nations clients. So I don't know what you'd call that uh, in your neck of the woods. So like in the States, they call them Native Americans, so, you know, sort of the first people to to, to arrive in, in Canada. Indigenous is, I'm, I'm not sure of the term um, for you, but anyhow, they live, you know, in remote areas and very different cultures. And so I, there I started doing some training with professionals on, on how to improve their communication skills. But at the same time, I was learning from them because they have this deep, deep listening that is, uh, I, I just got shivers. I've never seen it anywhere. You know, they can sit in silence after a question for three minutes, just reflecting and everyone just waits. And it's very different. And so I learned a lot from them about the power of listening, about the power of connection. Um, and so that all sort of evolved into the work that I'm doing today. I eventually decided from all these experiences that I, I enjoyed doing the trainings more than I enjoyed um, being a speech therapist. And so I gave up my professional permit and uh, got into doing, you know, speaking and coaching and training of leaders really who want to improve their communication skills so they can communicate better with their teams. Because I think that when, when people feel truly seen and heard, that's where they're going to follow your leadership and you can inspire them to be the best version of themselves by growing into the best version of yourself and, and you know, learning to truly hear your team. And so that's kind of where it all evolved from. Yeah, I, I completely agree with like kind of needing help but like not asking for help and just like honesty. Like for me, I had like I think five around five years of um, eating disorder and I was anorexic and I never I could never ask for help, never said anything about it, never communicate it out to people. Um mm. and so it's hard. Yeah, it is hard. It wasn't until I I was forced someone saw it in a forced in hospital that I realised that okay, mm. I can't really hide it anymore. What right. we yeah. What we'd say is like the biggest know, um, area that you see people kind of need to improve on the most when you like in communication? Hmm. Yeah, good question. So it kind of depends on the personality of the person because some people speak up a lot and sometimes speak over others or don't listen to others' opinions or, you know, sort of think they're always right. And, and, and I can be that person. <laughs> um, and then some people have a harder time speaking up at all and, and and don't even necessarily recognize what they need and have a hard time, even if they recognize it, have a hard time sharing that with people around them, especially if they're with someone particularly pushy. Um, and to be honest, I, I I would flip between the two in my, in my younger years. You know, sometimes with some people, I could be very assertive, not assertive, that's not the right word, aggressive. <laughs> um, and with others, I would I would step back and be too afraid. Um, so it kind of depends, you know, some people need to learn to step up a bit more and, and have that confidence to speak up and hold their ground. And some people need to learn to step back and, and listen a bit. And I think if you can identify, if, if everyone can identify what their natural tendencies are, 
then we can kind of start to identify which one we need to work on a bit more. So how would you suggest someone like who maybe wants to speak more, but is always always a person in the group where they just they never say like in like mm-hmm. teamwork and stuff, they're always they're always a person who just listens and never says something. What would you encourage them to do to yeah. take action and be a bit more like but not be afraid to express their opinions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great question because I I think there is a ton of value in in that person's listening that is undervalued, I'd say, in our society, right? I I find that those people, when I work with teams, are often viewed as one of the problems, you know, they're not participating enough, whereas the value they're bringing through their listening is not given the space, maybe it should. So I just wanted to say that first off. But I but I, I recognize so much what you're saying about that fear of speaking up. You know, I remember after the accident, I remember it clear as a bell, I was in our unfinished basement in the back, you know, with a, a laundry basket in my arms talking to a friend on the phone. And she said to me, you know, what, what do you need? What can I do to help you? And in my head, all I could think was, I need laundry done. I need groceries. Like I I was so overwhelmed. I couldn't even manage the everyday tasks of life. And and on the phone I said, "Oh, I think I'm okay. Thanks. You know, I'll let you know." And I desperately wanted to be like, "Please just come help." But I I couldn't bring myself to say it. And I hung up and I was like, "You idiot. You know, she's one of your best friends. Why could you not just tell her?" what you need, but it was really hard for me. And so one of the first things as I, as I, um, you know, started speaking up more. And like I said, for me, sometimes I spoke up a lot and sometimes I didn't, but um, was practicing it with people I felt safe with. And so there are some people, as you may have experienced, who even when you do speak up well, are, are, are very pushy and will do anything to try to override you. Those aren't the best people to start practicing. (laughs) Um, So start with the ones who you have a really deep relationship with, you know, the ones who you think will forgive you if, um, you know, it goes a little wrong. Um, And then sort of build up until you're at the ones that are really hard. And the other thing I would say is that when I was working on becoming more assertive in difficult conversations, I had one friend in particular who I knew would not let me get off with, with not addressing things. So I would text her and say, you know, I'm dealing with this problem and, you know, how should, can you give me some advice on how to address it? And then she would check in and say, have you spoken to them about it yet? Mm-hmm. And so she would, and but she was kind. So it wasn't, it can't be somebody who's like, Hey, stop, you know, stop beating around the bush. You're being, you're being ridiculous. You need to get at this. Like for me, at least that would not help. I needed somebody who, who was kind, but who would also say, you know, I know this is something you want to do, you know? And she just, knowing that, that she had my back, um, just was helpful for me in those really, really hard conversations that I still have, you know, because we're human. Yeah, actually, I think the, the topic of like just having really hard conversations is a really good one because, um, like talking to my friends, they find it really hard to talk to people they're super close with because they're afraid of what they think. Mm. Just, even though they're really like, sometimes it's hard to tell people about things that like it's hard to tell people who they trust the most about things. That's a good point. Like a stranger, whereas some things it's 
like the other way around um so what would like mm. i don't really know what the question is but like i think like let's say someone has like wants to you know it's like struggling a lot um and like you they they want help they need help but they mm. can't get themselves to like ask it how can they break mm. through that yeah that's a good question i you know on many levels i think that for change to happen, we kind of have to be at that point where we're ready to accept help. Mm. Because in my professional life, not in what I'm doing now, but before, I think I spent a lot of time sometimes trying to convince people mm. that they needed help, which which just broke the relationship. Because then I'm coming in as the expert, I'm telling you what to do, even if I'm saying it kindly. My experience has been that that doesn't really help. Whereas coming from a place of listening, you know, it's kind of like they need to be heard enough until they understand themselves that they, that they want help. Um, so it, it, it kind of depends on, you know, is it that they want help, but they just can't say it, you know, then could they say something, you know, I said recently to a friend, you know, I was working on, on, on changing something. And I said, I'm finding this hard. Can you, can you help hold me accountable for this. And I didn't mean be a parent and slap me on the wrist if I'm not doing it, but can you bring this up with me again? Because I will probably avoid it. <laughs> if I'm not doing, I will just not speak of it again. Can you be the person to raise it in a conversation, you know, to, to kind of open that door? So, you know, I don't know if that's something it's still, you still have to be able to say that, you know, I don't know if that, um, and outside of that, you know, if somebody really doesn't feel safe with, um, safe enough with the people around them to share, and I don't mean physically safe, I just mean that, that, that sense of safety. Um, you know, sometimes it takes calling an anonymous hotline or, or, you know, if it's something quite significant, um, to have that first step of feeling like you can share that, that, that big thing that, um, you know, it kind of depends on what level of a situation we're talking about here. That's true. So I guess even hmm, if anyone listening wants to say something or share something and isn't comfortable sharing it with people they know, then don't forget to share it with people they don't know that if they mm. want to try. It's, it's good to like kind of like put yourself out of your comfort zone to just try to say, like, for example, for me, so I, I also have had this thing called um alopecia so I lost all my hair um when I was yeah 15 um and I still have it now but it took me like it wasn't a few months ago that I could manage to tell someone about mm. it it's not that I didn't want to say it I did yeah. want to tell because like it's like it gave me so much freedom after just putting it out there mm. but I just couldn't yeah to someone I actually no I did tell Basically, I separated it into just like I told one person online that I met, like, he's now my best friend, but I met him, I think I met him on LinkedIn. Um, yeah, I met him on LinkedIn. Uh, I didn't know him, but I just told myself that uh, I just want to test myself and prove that I can tell someone about my alopecia. It just makes me feel better. I don't know this person, but I'm just going to tell this person anyway, because, yeah. Um, and now we're best friends, which is so funny. Um, and then the other time is I told my closest person, my closest friend. Mm. Um, it's on two separate occasions, but I just felt I don't know I'm, <laughs> I don't know where I'm going with this, but um, mm. I didn't feel ready to tell. Yeah, someone. well, I and I think I, I, I think what you're saying, 
Yeah, but I think what you're saying, I mean, I, I totally, that resonates with me, right? That that if you're talking about something that's really big and emotional, because I can imagine that that's that's a, you know, like a really difficult emotional journey is, you know, 15, I remember myself at 15, right? I just want to be the same as everyone else. I didn't want to be different. That, that That's not a wonderful thing to experience in high school, you know? Um, so th- those things that are, I guess, like me with the accident, right? That was so emotional. You know, I didn't want to tell my friends. I mean, like you say, I wanted to tell them how hard it was, but I also didn't because it means, I think a lot of it is, um, to have those hard conversations, whether it's about something big like that, or even, you know, the things that I do in my work, which, which I don't want to say are smaller because there's still significant issues, but you know, if it's even just addressing someone's performance issues at work, part of it means we have to be able to sit with the feelings that are coming up in ourselves when we're talking about it. And for me, that piece was really hard, whether again, whether it was something big, like talking about the accident or just addressing, you know, somebody who'd say something at work that I didn't like, it, it created a lot of anxiety in me to have to address that. And so one of the skills I had to learn was how do I tend to my own emotions and, and use strategies to calm myself down so that I can, and I say it, so I can sit in that space long enough to, to be able to have this conversation. And that's, that's hard. And that's a skill that I think is, is difficult for a lot of people because we weren't, I'm older than you, but generationally, in my generation at least, a lot of people weren't modeled skills on how to manage their emotions. Right? It was "suck it up, Buttercup" was the was the you know the phrase of of my childhood. Um, so I think that's a piece missing for a lot of people. Do you have any suggestions how they could learn about all this? Yeah, you know, there's skills that can be that can be taught. And um, now when I say that it depends on the extent of what people what people are going through, right? Like if we're talking about people who've experienced severe trauma in their life, and, and you know, sexual abuse, physical abuse, and all that, then then, you know, oftentimes, it, it may need the help of a, a qualified therapist. Um, because some of the things I'm going to share can bring up some significant emotions that that are going to extend beyond what the work I do because that's not my um, specialty but or I don't have the expertise and and qualifications for that but um, outside of that for me it was a few things so it was learning to be still enough so I could tell what was going on inside myself because I had a tendency to keep myself chronically busy uh, chronically busy um and so I couldn't really tell how I was feeling because I never slowed down enough to see. And, and I think that chronic busyness was like a, you know, a pattern or an unintentional strategy to keep myself from feeling my feelings. And that's, again, where that accident, I went from working full time to, you know, and raising kids and all this. And I just cut that all off and um, had nothing but stillness to see how I was feeling. And I wasn't feeling great at all. You know, I was feeling horrific. And so, um, but the lesson it taught me was that in that stillness, I can tell better how I'm feeling, which which is the first step to giving me the opportunity to, um, to learn how to calm those feelings. And, you know, we can talk about that in a second, but I don't know if that, any of that resonates um, with you, even in relation to coronavirus, you know? Yeah, oh, coronavirus has forced me to be, like, 
because I yeah I've just finished high school I guess so and I'm going to just got an offer I'm going to university in September and but it's completely changed my thoughts on university and going to university I know it's Mm. unrelated but it's like just having a stillness to actually really ask myself what do I actually want do I actually want to go back to books and exams again or do Mm. I actually want to try something different um yeah, so now just it's not unrelated though. Like to me, it's very related, right? Because that stillness, and, and I'm going to be honest, I'm not a still person. <laughs> like I'm still Thanks. not. It, it's not in my nature. I will never be like this super zen. I'd love to be. It's it's not who I am. But I have learned to create pockets of stillness in my life that that have you know helped me. But I, I do think part of it is. So yes, part of it is it helps us get in touch with our emotion in relation to what's going on. But that then I think opens the door to what you're saying, right? Those realizations of, oh, is this what I want to do? And and for me, my career shift, that's where that came from was the accident forced me into those moments of stillness, which I then embraced and then gave me the space, I think, to connect with, oh, do I really want to still be a, be a speech therapist? Do I love this as much as I think I love it? And, and a lot of that was, you know, when I was out camping and just in nature that I would make these decisions of I'm letting go of my permit that I did a master's for. I'm letting it go and, and you know, won't be able to practice again. Um, so I, I think that space kind of links us to our intuition a bit and um, prevents some... I'm not giving any advice here on your your career path, by the way, or your university path, by the way, but just kind of connects us to like, you know, am I am I going in the direction I want to go, or am I going in the direction that I thought I had to go because that that's what society says the next step is, you know? Yeah. So I guess like sometimes you know, ask myself, should I listen to my intuition or should I listen to like the logic or what my brain is telling me? Yeah. I hear you. I I hear you. It's it's tough. Mm. It is. Yeah. So how like how did you feel when you decided that you know you're gonna you did a masters like you're gonna shift? Were you ever like afraid? Did you have any? Yes, I was terrified. <laughs> I was I was terrified. I mean, I had so it didn't all come at once, but I had I had I had my own business. I had employees working for me who I'd only hired three months, four months before the accident. And within about six months of the accident, my, my gut just told me I didn't want, it, I, I was overwhelmed. I had the clinic, I had a contract on the side, I had kids with special needs and I knew I had to let something go. It couldn't be the kids, of course. <laughs> so um, I decided to close my clinic. That first decision I was terrified I like the number of hours I spent on the phone with friends debating the pros and cons and the what ifs and and I still couldn't make a decision and it was one friend who said to me you know Lindsay when I when I hear you talking I hear more joy in your voice when you talk about this than when you talk about the clinic and that was telling for me because I couldn't I was so in my head about it and again disconnected from from my feelings that I couldn't, I couldn't see that clearly the way she could. And so I just decided to do it. And and the piece that helped me through that, because that was a huge decision for me, was um, 
this decision doesn't have to be forever. If I close this and in six months, a year, five years, I decide, shoot, that's the path I wanted to be on. I could go back and that's okay. And, and so having to not, you know, the way I was raised was that you, you plan your life and you follow that plan exactly. And if you don't, you're a bit of a failure. You're actually, you're a lot of a failure, (laughs) not a bit. You should have seen it coming. So my dad's um, common phrase was ready, fire, aim, meaning you didn't plan enough and that's why you're in this mess. And I heard that a thousand times a day. Um, And so, yeah, it was scary. And so I've had to really retrain myself to believe that that's just part of the growth path versus a failure. Mm. And, And I never went back to opening it, but, you know, just being able to not see it as a failure helped. Yeah, I think this is, um, I guess at the time I'm going to post this is, so we had the university results day yesterday. I luckily got into my first choice, but I know many people who missed it um, and are going for clearing or not going to university and they're probably feeling a a failure. How, Mm. like, all your thought processes and, I guess everyone has thought of themselves as a failure once. So how is how did you overcome that? Mm. That's a good question because I think we all we all face that in life, right? Moments. I mean, it's still it still gets in my head that you know things don't go as planned, and you think, oh, it's because I didn't. It's you know I didn't work hard enough. I didn't whatever. Um, it's it's my experience has been it's really hard in the moment, like as you're going through those emotions, it's really hard. To not feel that. And frankly, I think sometimes when right away we're like, oh, well, I guess it wasn't meant to be. I guess I wasn't supposed to go to university. Um, Sometimes I think we're fooling ourselves into believing that we don't care. And so I, I think there's, I think it's important to experience the emotions that come up when things don't go as planned, when the thing we were really striving for, like getting into university does not work out because that's brutal. It is, you know? Um, And then from that, so I think the key is not getting stuck in that, you know, like feeling it, but not then saying, well, you know, I must be no good at anything because I didn't get into university and therefore I'm just going to, you know, do nothing. And, you know, what's the key to that? So for me, it's been a lot of support because when you're in it yourself and feeling like you suck <laughs> it's it's hard and so I, I even look in my business you know I have a mastermind group of four colleagues and we get together every six weeks and um part of it is business strategy and but part of it I think is helping us all come back to you don't suck <laughs> like the um reminding ourselves that that the the pieces that didn't go as well don't mean you're a failure and and so for me it has been a lot um finding a community of people who aren't going to berate me for my um I don't want to say errors even but for the things that don't go well but who are going to support me and and I think that's when I, now that I think of it that's probably the biggest shift in my life is I've learned to be very careful who I give my time and attention to and who I discuss things with that are difficult, like things that haven't gone well, because I used to surround myself with people who would berate me 
um, and then I'd leave them. Yeah, I completely agree. Just surrounding yourself with the right type of people really changes a lot. Obviously, like, just surrounding myself with a lot more ambitious young like want to be entrepreneurs just kind of changed my mind in, in terms of university and then before at school I was only surrounded by people who was all about studying um, mm. it's just interesting how, how my thought process has changed along the way. <laughs> that is interesting yeah yeah one thing I was just about before I think oh, wait. Oh, it just literally just on my mind and it just popped out um it's literally just on my mind and completely just flew away. That's okay. Never mind. I think that'll come back to me. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I guess I'll turn to like one question that I ask every guest on this podcast, which kind of related to the beginning of what you said about you know helping others become their next best versions of themselves. What mm. is your like not next best version of yourself? What does that look like? And how? Oh, does that's that a good question. Gosh. Oh, I love that question. Um, the next best version of myself. So, you know, I don't know if I know what that looks like because, it, you know, if I look back through my life history, any time in my life when you would have asked me that, I think what I would have answered wouldn't have been what it turned into, what I, what I turned into and what, what my actual next best version of myself turned into because, I'm someone who really believes that, yes, you, you you need an idea of where you want to be going and what you want in life. But if we don't open ourselves up to opportunities, um, sometimes we end up following a path that we think is right, you know, only to realize it wasn't quite the right fit. And and And, and really, that's what I did. You know, when I look at what I'm doing today, this happened because... When I was a speech therapist, a colleague of mine said, you know, I'm doing this contract. I think you'd love it. You should try it. And I said, no, no, I love what I'm doing. No, thank you. And she said, no, you would love this. You need to. And she negotiated with me and they wanted somebody a contract for, I don't know, 20 hours a week. And she negotiated them down to seven. And, and I tried it. And then I was like, oh my gosh, I love this. And that's where I chose to close my clinic. And then from there, they were saying, you know, we see you're good at being a speech therapist, but can you do these other, can you work with our employees and train them? And, you know, if I were in like my old, like years ago, when I was more close-minded, I would have said, well, I'm a speech therapist and that's not speech therapy. So no, but I'd kind of grown to loving these opportunities. So I said, okay, I'll try it out. And again, with that idea of if I don't like it, I'll just go back to doing what I was doing. And so I don't know if I know what I think the next best version of myself will be because um, I don't have a specific version of that other than that, that, that I, I, you know, I want to continue to push myself to do things that are scary to me today, that are scary to me in five years. And continue to work through the stuff that holds me back from doing that. Cause that's a lot of what I, in, in my entrepreneurship, a lot of my business journey is paralleled by a personal journey of realizing like, Oh, I'm not doing that thing because I'm terrified of putting myself out there. I guess I got to do it now. <laughs> you know? So yeah, that wasn't a very concise answer, but I don't know. I'm going to reflect on that more. So what would you say is holding you back now the most? Then? Oh, hmm. So 
So, I mean, I think there still is a fear piece. Um, so I think, I think the biggest thing, the biggest fear I have probably, and I've heard this from a lot of women, but is the fear that if I take on too much too fast, like my family will break that, that, and, and I don't even know what I mean by break because I don't feel like I'm on the verge of divorce, but just that the, that the, the toll it will take on my family is something I would regret. And I think I hold my, that holds me back too much. Like, I think I don't give enough credit to, um, how solid of a relationship is there. But I, I think that's a big piece that scares me because in my younger life, I, I really neglected that part of my life, right? It was work, work, work. And, and um, to the extent that I, I was probably close to a burnout when I was in my early 20s, I ended up getting really injured instead. But I think my injury was my body's way of slowing me down instead of a burnout. Um, so yeah, I think that is probably my biggest fear. Do you have an idea of how you plan to do it? Mm, you ask good, hard questions. I like I like having to reflect really deeply. Um, I mean, for me, a lot of it is just that when I have these realizations. So a few years back, I I kind of promised myself whenever you realize that, that you're, you're afraid of something and that's, what's holding you back. Well, now you got to do it you know, like that. That's, that's my sign of get on it. And so I'm, I'm trying to, you know, with my business, I try to be very careful to balance what I take on with what I feel I can handle. And I like, I think that's important. I'm trying to be not as quite as careful. Like I don't want to give up some big opportunity because I'm afraid of having a really stressful week. And, and I think part of that is um, because I have two kids with my, my kids both have psychiatric diagnoses. And so when things get chaotic, they can get wildly chaotic. And that I, I, I just, I absorb that stress. Like I take it on um, and I don't like the person I become. And um, so that, that's, that, that's part of why. But yeah, it's I'm I'm trying to just not have that hold me back um, and and accept those opportunities even when it feels. So let me give you an example. Recently, I was offered to um, to attend this event um, with with lots of potential clients last minute. But there was a lot of prep to be ready. Like there was a certain format and and. I learned of it 24 hours before the, 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 the documentation was, was due. And my initial reaction was, nope, wait till next year. Because I knew I'd have to work till midnight. I'd, I wouldn't be able to see the kids that day. And, and my initial reaction is, nope, put your family first. Which is a fine decision for someone to make. But in my case, I think it often, it, it's a way of for me um, getting out of going to those. They were, they were big, big, big clients. Um, and so I, I made myself, I was like, nope, you're going to, you're going to work like crazy. I talked to my husband about it first to be sure that like he could take on the extra work with the kids. Um, and, and it worked fine. Like, yeah, sure. I was stressed, but I mean, it was small in the, in the grand scheme of things. 
<laughs> so just things like that that I'm trying to make myself do even when it's a bit chaotic. Yeah, that's good. I, I think I was, I was going to ask you try to tell your husband about it, um, but you just do. Um, yeah. And I think kind of if asking yourself, like, would you, if like, would you regret this not taking the opportunity in a year's time? Right. Well, so it's so funny because like the, you know, the me of 20 years ago would have jumped on every single opportunity like that without even reflecting on, is this going to be hard? It would have just been like, too bad, we have to work this out. This is, you know, and I realized that in my growth, I kind of flipped too far the other way, right? Where um, I was so scared of um, those, those, so I wouldn't take those opportunities on if I knew of them far enough in advance that I could, you know, that I could manage it with my schedule. Um, but yeah, I'm trying to push myself to to take on some more chaos, <laughs> which makes no sense. But <laughs> no, I think yeah, maybe like next time, whatever opportunity comes up, you might want to listen to this part of the yeah. podcast to remind yourself. You said that you were going to do it. You said that you're going to say yes to it. Yeah, that's like an excellent, excellent point. I will, I will do so. <laughs> Yeah, I think like for me, I'm like a massive fan of Gary Vee. And then, you know, he says that, like, you know, 19 to well, 20 to like 30 is the time where you have least responsibility. So take all the risks that you want to see, mm. which is kind of my plan, game plan. So it's really interesting to hear about what it's like when you have a little bit more like you know, children, family. What's that like? It's really, the fear is going to help do different things. Well, so I think when I get to the core of it, I think because I think one of my biggest fears is being a bad mom, right? And so I don't want to be that mom who my kids are then, I was going to say in therapy, but they'll probably be in therapy anyhow, because who who couldn't use therapy? Um, but I don't want them to be saying, you know, my mom was never around. She was always busy working. She didn't know what was going on in my life. Like I, and when I say that, so I don't think I've even fully realized this until this moment, but um, part of it is that was my dad, like my dad was working chronically and didn't know what public school we went to, even though he had four kids in a small town with two schools, couldn't, didn't know which school to take us to when it was like an assembly day or something. And I don't want that to be my kid's memory of me. Um, so that's probably underlyingly what, what makes it so scary for me to, to build and build and build yeah. my business. But, um, but I think I'm in a space now where I know that's the path I'm on, you know? What kind of mom do you want to be? Hmm. Gosh, you could bring me to, ah, you know, I, I flip between moments where I can be really present with the kids and really enjoying my time with them. And, um, just in the moment, I guess, you know, like rolling on the bed, tickling them um, at the park, playing soccer, just, I don't know, like last night we have a jacuzzi, last night we were in the jacuzzi talking about Pokemon for for half an hour. Um, but then when I get really stressed, I can get to be really cranky and, you know, get to bed, <laughs> it's enough, you know, and, and I, in fairness, I think, um, I, I think we're all human. And I, so I think my my model of what I strive for as a mom, to be honest, is probably not realistic. And so I think that's been part of my journey too, right? Is accepting and I'm, that I'm still on that um, 
you you can never be like this perfectly calm, responsive um, person because I haven't met anyone like that in my life. And so, um, yeah, so I think I kind of shoot myself in, a, in the foot a bit by having that perception of what I would like to be as a mom. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's just down to perfectionism, kind of. Totally. Yeah. 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 So how would, I guess, how, well, I guess, how do people overcome perfectionism? Just kind of always remind yourself that you're human and can't do everything. Yeah. 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 Well, and in many ways, I have, so motherhood for me has, really helped in that regard, you know, in terms of being a mom and having a business and and that whole idea of doing it all. I mean, my house is (laughs) just wholly messy right now. You know, we're, we're in the middle of painting a bedroom, like the furniture's in the hall, the stuff is everywhere. Like we often don't get the dishes done until, you know, we wake up, we feed the kids, we both head off. I shouldn't say head off. We both work from home, but you know, we don't do the morning dishes. If, if the, the machine is full, we don't touch them. It just piles up till dinner. And, I I've learned to be fine with all that stuff for the most part, because um, I was driving myself nuts in my early years as a mom, trying to keep everything just perfect. And the reality is that in my perspective, at least that when we do that, then, okay, our external life or exterior looks perfect, but inside it's often a mess. Um, And I've, I've tried to learn to prioritize keeping the inside less of a mess and the outside messier, if that makes any sense. I like that. I like that. Yeah. Keeping inside less of a mess outside messier. Yeah, it's hard. How about business wise in terms of I don't know, from someone who's just like looking at all these people starting businesses, it looks very smooth, like oh <laughs> there's so many like accomplishments, so many followers, blah blah blah. What was like what would you say is the messiest aspect of your business Hmm. that's a good question uh because there's so many messy parts (laughs) which what do you pick uh the the whole thing has been messy really the um and and I don't mean that to discourage people because I in no way would would go back and 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 abandon um the decision I've made I wouldn't you know or I would have already but um yeah, the whole thing was messy. So I had a business before this, I ran a clinic, that business was extremely easy. So I had this really naive experience of what it means to be a business owner. I was in a field that was in massive demand. So I basically had to say, hey, I'm open and people were knocking on my door. You know, I had a waiting list within, I don't know, a week or two of opening. And then I hired, of all things, because I didn't know what I was doing, I hired three people the same week when I first decided to hire people, and then I was like, oh, how am I going to get enough clients for all three of them? I, I mean, I thought it through somewhat, but not enough. Yeah. But then within two weeks, they were full. And so when I opened this business, I didn't think it would be quite that easy. But I didn't realize quite how hard, how hard it would be. And so that whole journey has been messy of, of learning but like, I didn't even know what the difference is between sales and marketing. Never mind not knowing how to market or not knowing how to sell. I did not understand the difference between those two words. I didn't, 
understand the difference between a coach and a consultant and all these things that are pretty core notions to what I do, I had to learn. And so the whole thing has been messy. Um, probably though, the biggest part for me has been like learning, you know, I've had to learn skills and information. Um, but you're going to hear that from 10 people who have 10 different opinions of what'll work or, or a hundred different people who have a hundred different opinions. It, so let's say for sales, for instance, right? There are people who use a very sort of pull approach and there's people that use a push approach and uh, and there's people that use both. And so the messiest part for me, I think, has been figuring out where do I sit in all this information that everyone is giving me, what is right for me? And I found that harder with this business because it's it's not a business I knew as well. What I was doing before, I did it for like six, six years for someone else before I ran my own business. This, I, I jumped in newer. Um, and, and I think it's just part of the growth journey. And so does it maybe take longer to figure out those answers? Probably. Does it matter? Yeah, I guess it depends on what situation you're in. But I, I just keep reminding myself, just it takes the time it takes, you know, keep focusing on the next step. Because I, I have aspirations to build big for a long time. And I just keep focusing on just just focus on the next step and then know where you're going but focus on the next step and then from there the next step and 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 then you look back and you're like holy cow yeah. Yeah. you know think think big start small mm, yeah yeah I like that I heard that on um I listened to one of your podcasts I can't remember it was it was a man I can't remember his name anyhow sorry <laughs> not to put you on the spot uh I heard him say that and I, it really resonated that like, don't worry about how the whole thing works. What's the next thing you need to be able to do? Work on that. And then it helps me break through that overwhelm of everything I need to learn um, that is so far outside of my skill set. Because that's that's what entrepreneurship is, especially early on, I think, right? Like I'm, I have just, I have one employee and one person I contract to regularly and that's it. So, and oftentimes people don't even have that, you know? So um it's a lot of learning, a lot of new skills. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Like, I mean, like starting your own business, you have to learn everything. It's almost like simple social media to like marketing, sales. Um, yeah. Like simple how to even write, how to do, like how to use WordPress or like, you know. Totally. Like, ah, it's just yeah. editing maybe. Yeah. <laughs> All yeah. that yeah, I think the fun. beauty, though, is that, like, for me, when I contrast to having been an employee is I get to choose what, what, what I'm learning, mm. you know, and, and as my business has grown, it's allowed me to choose the things I hate, because I really hate anything IT related. And ugh. Um, as my business has grown, and then I have funds, then I can choose, I still need a base notion, of course, because it's my business, but then I can choose to ask somebody else to do that for me to pay else and then I get to focus on the stuff I really love so I've found that for me who has to be like I have to love what I do for work I like love it not just enjoy it I have to love it uh, to be really engaged in it and so it's allowed me to really follow my interests and passions while not having to do the other pieces which when I was an employee I, I had to do those you know so that's kind of the fun part of entrepreneurship I find well, if you don't mind sharing, because I sometimes I tell you who's, this podcast is like a, a space, a safe space where 
you're allowed to dream as big as you want to and no one's going to judge you so like mm. what would the vision of your business be yeah where do you want it to go yeah, I, um, well, so my life dream is to do an interview with Brené Brown. I don't know if you know who she is, but, um, oh, she's phenomenal. Um, yeah, I'm in love with her and her work. And so that is my sort of big end life dream is to do an, into, I don't know what format, but just get to meet her and not as a fan. Um, but outside of that, <laughs> uh, I think I really want to be moving towards uh, like a large company where, um, you know, we have uh, a team of coaches who are doing, uh, you know, on-site trainings with, um, with leaders within organizations, um, possibly also having like online modules and, um, and I, and so I don't have a really defined fixed vision of exactly what that's going to look like because um, I often, so I, I want to say change in the sense that I'm not going from like here to here to here back and forth all the time. But, you know, for instance, I thought that I was going to launch some group coaching and, and, I've decided that's probably not my next best step. And so I like to sort of see what the next best part feels like based on what I'm enjoying and what is working. And so, you know, whether that turns into a more training company or a more coaching company, I don't know, but I want the messages of my work. I want them to have a large reach and to do so I would need people beyond myself. Uh, to be able to do that work. And I love to mentor. It's one of the things I love the most in my old, um, my old career. So yeah, so we'll see. We'll see where that all goes one day. Um, another question that I ask um, guests at the end of the podcast is what, like, what challenge do they have for themselves and for listeners to take action on? Mm. So you're talking short term here? For me, I'm guessing. Anything. Yeah, short term. Hmm. So I'm still trying to wrap my head around it. So, I mean, short term, I have a bunch of things I'm working on. You know, I'm, I'm working on getting my marketing automation system up and like having a really good funnel. Um, I'm working on redoing my coaching section of my website. Well, I, wait, I shouldn't say I'm working on it. It's in my head. I haven't worked on it. So, <laughs> uh, but it is on, on my, my coming to do list because my coaching has really evolved from when I did that website and it's just sort of starting to feel like it's time to do that. Um, and, and outside of that, I have a lot of meetings coming up with, um, with, with potential clients that, that, um, so this isn't something I guess I, like a, a new goal I'm setting now, but, um, a whole bunch of new sort of big events that I'm not used to attending, but I, I, um, some of them, to be honest, I don't even fully understand yet. <laughs> Yeah, what's going on but I was like sign up register and go and learn from it you know um so that's kind of my philosophy the whole way whole way along um and in terms for others you know I think probably the thing that has been most helpful in my life um has been my ability to just keep going and I think that can be detrimental at times. So I think when I was younger, my idea of just keep going was like pushing through, right? Like it doesn't matter how exhausted or um, 
how much you hate this or, or any of that, just keep going, push through, push through. And, and I think that can be a quick path to a burnout. So that's not what I'm saying so much. Um, but that ability to, despite challenges, find a way to see the, the, I don't know if it's the lesson or the good in it, like to take the lesson from that bad experience, you know? So when I look at when I was injured and on disability for two years, when I was 26, that felt horrific at the time because I was about to open my first business and I was crushed. And, but that ability to look at, okay, it taught me, it taught me to slow down. It taught me, um, that things change and you can be flexible and roll through this and figure out a new way and a new plan. So I, I guess that's my challenge is to try to see where um, nothing is ever an end, you know, like every closed door. And this isn't my quote. This is, I can't remember who said this. Somebody really famous said, uh, you know, every closed door or something along the lines of is, is another door opening. And so allowing yourself to grieve that closed door, because like we talked about with university, I, I think that's important, but then figuring out where there's an opening and, and it can be a super small opening. Um, but I think if you can keep finding those small openings and reminding yourself that there is success in the small steps that you go, you go really far over time. And be kind to yourself. That's probably the biggest one, right? Through all that, be kind to yourself through it. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming. How can people find you if they want to reach out to you? Yeah. So my website is Lindsay Lapaquette. So it's L-I-N-D-S-A-Y-L-A-P-A-Q-U-E-T-T-E.com. You can find me there. I'm also usually pretty active on LinkedIn. So you can find me on LinkedIn and I'd be happy to connect with you there. I hope everyone enjoyed the episode. If you did, then please share it with friends and family and add a review on Apple Podcasts. I really appreciate it. And reach out to Lindsay and me. And yeah, until next time, guys.